Once again, world, you tuned into the new improved Big Dogs Playoffs podcast. I'm your host, Tojo. And for those of you that are tuning in for the very first time, please allow me to welcome you to the Playhouse. And for those of you that have been riding since day one, it's a great day outside. Let the top back and let's roll, baby. We outside. We outside with this new edition of the Playhouse, and um, I'm sitting here with one of a good friend of mine. I've known him for about 11 years now, and um, you know, every every since I've known him, he's always been a man of his word. You know, and I and I was thinking about how I was gonna introduce him on this show, and I got a hold to his bio, and I just wanted to read something off of it. You know, what I'm saying it says a unique and productive, rags to riches, destructive. To perseverance life story. College bound, turned into a homeless man, turned into a drug lord, turned into a penitentiary inmate, and today stands as a philanthropist, urban guru, and <clears throat> entrepreneur of a multi-million dollar urban marketing production company. Without further ado, I would like to introduce you to my brother, my friend, Mr. Janelle Langerson. All right. Man, that made me sound like I was doing something in a lifetime, huh? <laughs> so you don't believe you're doing something? I'm huh? just saying, you know, when you live in it, it ain't the same. You kind of live it, and it doesn't really live according to where it sounds after you write it once you lived it. By being in it? In it now? You yeah, being in it now. You know what I mean? Yes, it's true. I was homeless. Yes, it's true. I went to the penitentiary. Yes, it's true. I built a successful company, and now, yes, it's true, we do have a nonprofit that's catering to inner city children. But when you're living in the moment of it, it doesn't seem like those tiers of elevation evolve that easy. Hmm, that's pretty hip. First of all, thank you for inviting me to your compound. Thank you, you for know coming. What I'm saying Big Dog's Playhouse is on the road. So. That was interesting that you said that. So it all started off for you in Oakland, right? Yes. Born and raised, hometown, Oakland, California. Okay. So talk about John Nair as a kid. You know, as a child, it was uh, very difficult because my mom is white, my dad is black, and I'm almost 60. So it wasn't one of those things where black and white were accepted in society. So my dad was in prison for my for murder, and I didn't meet my mother until I got to, I wanna say almost the sixth grade, and that's when I found out she was white. But by that time, I had already been growing up in an environment with the Black Panther Party and became anti, you know, white. But to find out I had a white mom, but it was kinda, you know, mind-boggling, so to culture speak. Shock. Not only a culture shock, but just shock, period. Like, okay, my mama white, <laughs> so you have been living with your father all the time and, and father's family? Yeah, my, my dad's side of the family, you know. What part of Oakland? Um, Oakland, East Oakland, East North Oakland, Oakland Richmond. Okay, Richmond. You know, okay. mm -hmm. the Bay Area. Okay, you've been all over. Yeah. All over. When you go to nine different elementary schools before you reach the sixth grade, you have a tendency to travel. Okay, okay. So by your father being away at school on a murder charge, mm -hmm. is a bad kid, good kid? What's I was a challenging child. I believe that um, one of the things that I can, you know, say that stood out the most, I never caught the fundamentals of education, you know, the sight words, the blends and things of that magnitude. So when I was called on in class to read, I would act out and I would only act out because I couldn't read. Oh, okay. So it appeared that I was a troubled teen, but in actuality, I wasn't. I just was embarrassed about my inability to read or write okay so you um what what high school did you go to i went to berkeley high you know and i ran track full scholarship 
you know, track and field, did real well. You know, Berkeley was a liberal city, although I lived in Oakland and Richmond. Berkeley was a place where my mother worked. Once I met my mother, she worked for the city of Berkeley. So she wanted me to go to school close to where she worked. You moved to Berkeley? I lived in Berkeley from time to time. Yes, I lived in Berkeley a few times. And, you know, you know, you travel as much as I have. Yeah, I lived okay. in Berkeley, North Oakland, East Oakland, West Oakland, Richmond. Yeah, so you said you had a full rack. Yes, I competed in track and field in the 400, 800. Did pretty well in my early years. Um, I had a full scholarship to college, University of Georgia. Um, I got there with Melvin Ladney and Herschel Walker. It was it was one of those unique times where, you know. 83, 84? It was in 1981. I'm oh, an old head. Right. This that's is 81. Right. Okay. Herschel so, come 81, 82. And Melvin Ladney, 81, 82. Okay. Yeah, and Herschel okay. Walker. Okay. Um, so, you know, at that time, they had the Atlanta murders going on. There was a this guy killing a bunch of kids and kidnapping. That's crazy. That, that was happening. So it was a little, a little, you know, odd coming from California, want to go to a school way out in the middle of the, of the South. But more importantly, when my grades came back, I had not passed the SATs. So... They had to send me back home to a junior college. Oh, okay. That's something you said about the Atlanta murders. I was on my way. My sister was, my sister was in the eighth grade, or going to the eighth grade, and we went on a school trip with her. We was going to Disney, Disney World in Florida. Mm -hmm. We went through Atlanta, stayed at the Omni Hotel, and mm -hmm. the baseball park, Fulton County, used to be right across the street. And people walk to the game with their bats in their hand. All that stuff was going mm -hmm. on at that time. That's interesting that you said that. Mm -hmm. So, when you went to Georgia, what, was it culture shock? Going to the University you, of Georgia? You know, there was California? a... It was. But there's a there was an athlete. Um, he became very popular at that time. His name was Dominique Wilkins. Yes, sir. Dominique. Yeah, Dominique yeah. was there at that time. Real good dude, man. He made, you know, dudes like me coming from Cali. You know, he made it real comfortable for me. So you know what I'm saying? Kind of cool. Well, we was cool. We okay. was real cool. Of course, you know, I was very, you say problem team, but, you know, I was a drug dealer. At the end of the day, I went to school. At that time? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And went to University of Georgia? Absolutely. I couldn't help but go there with some of that, you know, that California urban kush. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so you the weed man. I was the bud man. You was the bud man. What can I there. say? You know, you know, we next to Humboldt County. Everybody considered themselves a bud man at that time. Hey, in the Golden Triangle, baby. That's right. Man, California. So, okay. So, you come back to junior college. Yes. I had uh, my grades came back. I wasn't, you know, didn't do well on my SATs. Stayed at a, a junior college locally and trained with some of the best, you know, athletes at that time. And then did well at state meet, did well at the nationals. And then I said, you know, I need some better competition. So I went to Mount Sac the following year in Los Angeles, which is known for his track and field. And then at Mount Sac, I did real well again, but that landed me a full scholarship to the University of Northridge. Okay, so you end up in Northridge. Yes, I end up in Northridge. So there's three different schools. How old are you about that, by that time in Northridge? You know, at Northridge, I had actually, you know, it's funny because I said I'm going to give up the weed game and stop selling drugs to turn into this wannabe athlete student type of person. But unfortunately, you know, in class, I couldn't read or write or understand what the teacher was talking about. But because of my athletic ability, they passed me anyway. So they were crippling me and not knowing that they were crippling me, they were crippling me. Um, so when I came to a point in my career where I got hurt, and I couldn't come back that following year, I fell back to what I know best, drugs. Okay. Stronger drugs, harder drugs? No, I stayed in the weed game for a while until until the crack academic hit. And then in 1987, um, you know, I got into with that illicit trade they call crack cocaine. Okay. I don't, I don't know if we're moving too fast or not, but I read somewhere where you were homeless. Yeah. So this before crack or that's a good question. I went homeless when I was in high school. I had to sleep in cars, take baths at YMCA, and train and go to high school because I didn't get along well with my family. I had behavioral issues. Then, after I went to college and I decided to go to Mount Sac and go to a, uh, a junior college that I felt was a, a great, you know, basketball, I mean, a uh, track and field facility. 
I was homeless there, and I used to go in to the grocery stores because they had 24-hour grocery stores in the Los Angeles area, not in the Bay Area. So I would go in the grocery stores and eat food, sleep in my car, because although I was a, a pretty good athlete, Mount Sac wasn't going to give me no money. And junior colleges don't give money, so right. I had to stay there and prove myself. Then when I stayed there and broke a national record and proved myself, then I said, you know what, I got to go home. And then at that point, they said, okay, we'll pay you. So I had to get paid. I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, so I stopped selling dope. At that point. Oh, they gave me housing. They gave me a motorcycle. They gave, you know, they took care of me. <laughs> <laughs> Pay to play, man. Pay to play. Hey, that's what it is. It is what it is. Okay, so back fast forward to the, to the crack epidemic. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I slipped into that game because I was always a weed man. But, you know, at, at some point where the, the crossroad took place, was when I seen a lot of my friends who were selling cocaine and crack cocaine would come to me to buy weed. And I was noticing that they would have these big old knots. And I was like, man, I'm, I've been selling You're the wrong, wrong time. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. you know, my knot don't look like that. But I'm looking, I'm feeling good and looking good. Like, okay. It wasn't like that. So I got involved. So how was you, you know, how did, how did, how did the cocaine trade work out for you? You know, I got to be honest with you. Um, I want to point out that the illicit trade has a unique twist. The same attributes that you would possess in an illicit trade is what it takes to make in a legitimate trade. Yeah. So the crack game for me was like, okay, cool. I'm not going to be out here. I would take an ounce and I noticed that everybody would want to make $600 off an ounce after they got it for $1,000. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I'm not going to make no $600 off this ounce. I'm only going to make $200 extra. So I would make my rocks extra big. So mm -hmm. that allowed me to create a name. Oh, LL got the double ups. Mm -hmm. And so now we got the double ups. So now the crack cocaine game came in and I would give people more money than what everybody else was giving them for a product. But it kept everybody looking for you though. It kept them looking for me. So All I didn't have time. to sell nothing. People would look for me. Look for you. Yeah. And with, with that being said, that was my model throughout the whole port, which was only eight months um, before I was arrested and someone told on me. The word got out because I was on my way to Columbia to meet up with Pablo Escobar. And it was just, at that point, I had grew too big. Chartering planes, Spending money like I was spending money, you know, you you would hear stories of the the freeway ricks and all them, but 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 I just want to say that every city has a pocket of drug lords that's living good, yeah, that's yeah. living real good yeah. and have done good. Yeah. You know, I would spend seven hundred seventy-five thousand dollars every other day, but because I wasn't flamboyant and hanging out, right. you know, doing all that dumb stuff, right. you're not gonna hear my name, which right. is the way I envision myself. Being. I mm -hmm. just didn't know how to take that illicit trade money and make it a legitimate trade. But I will say this. I learned something from, I did the BMF logo later on as we talk about this and marketing and advertising with my company, Fat Effects. And I remember Meech specifically saying, he was like, man, listen, I used to tell him, hey, man, change lanes, man. You eating good. Change lanes. He like, man, I don't need to change no lanes. He said, because here's what happens. I'm going to live like this now, mm. and I'm good. The RICO Act comes into play when you take an illicit trade and try to make it legit. Yeah. But as long as I'm just spending money and having fun, I'm not going to get no RICO Act. Right. Okay. 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 Big Meats, huh? <laughs> Shout out to Big Meats. That's my. And I, the whole BMF click. You yeah. hear what I'm saying? Yeah. But anyway. We're going to move on. <laughs> yeah. My family. So, um, you get picked up. Yes. Someone told on me. Um, as a first-time offender, right out of college, because I wouldn't tell. I didn't have no dope. I just had money. So, they couldn't figure out what to do with me. They're like, who is this guy? They stumbled onto me. They're like, who is this dude? I just had money. But they had photos of people that was known drug lords in the community coming by all the time and they're like okay who is this dude like how is he connected and 
because I wouldn't tell and I had all that money, like, okay, we finna lay down. He tell. No, I did every bit of my 10 years and I spent four of that in a hole because I was super stupid. Okay. What year you come home? I came home in 1996. Okay. Best lesson you learned while you was locked up? Learning one word a day so I can learn how to read and write. Learning one word a day. The autobiography of Malcolm X um, taught me the importance of literacy. Hmm. That's deep. So came home. Came home. 95, 96, 96. Yeah, 96. Came 96. home in 96 and, um, you know, had several jobs, did well at the jobs. But unfortunately, you know, as an ex-felon, you're limited to remedial jobs. Okay. So you have to become an entrepreneur. Okay. Um, one of the things that was interesting is that a friend of mine, Tracy and Thomas Underwood, they were doing uh, graphic design. And I walked into the studio and said, wow, this is a gold mine. And they couldn't see it, but I saw it because I wanted to do counterfeiting. So I learned about ICZ profiles and my background was photography. So I'm like, OK, this is I can treat these colors and make artists look like they're black artists, make the melon in their skin glow. OK. Okay. And so we started branding the images for Bay Area artists. Okay. So they're still Oakland. Oakland. So it wasn't Fatifax then. It was... No. What was the first Funky name? Fat Graphics. Funky Fat Graphics. Funky Fat Graphics. <laughs> Who was your first customer? Wow. I don't... You know, when, when in L.A.? When no. I turned to Fatifax at no. Funky Fat? Funky Fat. It used to be up in you, you know what? I'm going to tell you. The first person that asked me to manage their organization was a kid... Um, his name was Lil Rick, manager, D-Boy. Lil Rick was a known artist that was on Master P um, program. He was the first one that said, man, you sound like you really know what you're doing. And will you manage my artists? And I'm like, nah, man, but I'll help you get the stuff that you need and make sure you're right. And then from so there. So it was a management company? No, we did the, the posters, the flyers, right. the stickers, okay. the CDs, okay. the DVDs, the record release parties. Um, it, it continued to grow. Okay. Started with just the graphics, but they asked me to manage. They asked him. He asked you to manage. Several artists have asked me to manage the company, not okay. the artists. Okay. Which is a difference. Okay. Um, and, and basically, it just entailed me giving them advice on how to make their product sell. Okay. So one of the most successful things I think um, came out of that was like SIBO. He's a well-known artist back up in the Bay Area. We, uh, I'm like, hey, man, let's wrap this car before you go out. So I started bringing vehicle wraps into the game. Okay. When vehicle wraps went around. Um, that was around 1995, 90, no, 96, 97. And then I started all the independent records. I think my biggest success thing was grabbing all the independent labels and saying, hey, I got this relationship with the two shorts and the TK Kirklands and all these, you know, they used to do this thing called um, BRE Vibe where all the artists would showcase their product. Okay. And as independent artists, we they couldn't afford to rent a big hall and compete with the so-so deaths and, uh, right. and, and, and uh, you know, you know who. Death jams and all, all of them. Okay. And so the bad boys that yeah. was coming up at priority. that time. The priority. All of, them, yeah. all of them. So what I would do is I would take several independents and take their money and bring it together okay. and buy a, I mean, rent a hall and then get everybody all the same shirts, get all the posters. They don't have to pay me a certain fee. So we showed up at the BRE, we like a hundred deep. Okay. And you know, so what ends up happening is that now artists start getting deals. Okay. Because we had a place to showcase them and we brought the attention with it. Okay. BRE was in Oakland? No, BRE was in Atlanta that year. Okay. okay. So, you know, back then it was like Swab House. Jack the what, Rapper. Jack the Rapper would be one we would do as well. Okay. okay. Exactly. Okay. okay. So you saying 95, 96? Yes, 96, 97. Okay. Freak Nick still going on. Magic City Pop. All that. Woo, wing. All that. Just Things like was, that. It was big then. You know, we would dress girls up and put them with picket signs and run around like, you know. Yeah. It was just, you know, back then it was real hip hop. Okay. So you went from from that and then you moved to L.A.? 
Yeah, one of my business partners, um, you know, he had called a case and my probation officer was like, hey, listen, um, you cannot be in this environment no more. You have to. With the associates that you was hanging with? Right. Okay. He had called a case. And the feds ran in there on me and I was on parole. Luckily. Supervised release. Yeah, supervised release, parole. First parole, then supervised release. It was release. parole in the feds at yeah, first? Yeah, first thing. Supervised release came, came after blame. your parole. Right. Okay, okay, okay. You finish your MR date, and then you go into your supervised release, okay. which is mandatory release date. Okay, I got you. But, but anyway, um, so when the feds came in all masked up, and, you know, obviously I'm who I used to be, I'm catching havoc for being around that environment. And so my probation officer at the time said, hey, listen, you you cannot go back there. And I was like in a, in a bad situation. So it's funny because I went to certain people who kept asking me, team up with them, team up with them, you know, come and do this with me. You out know? there? Yeah, out there. I'm doing it with two other partners, but they they square. And, and and these dudes are goons that want to change lanes. Yeah. And I'm like, no, man, I'm good where I'm at. Okay. So when the situation broke up, I go to my goon partners and I say, hey, man, you know what? Let's go to L.A. Everybody feel like I'm this shark, but I'm in a pond. Right. L.A. is an ocean. Yes, sir. And they got killer whales. They eat sharks. Yeah. They eat you sharks. know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, dude, come with me. You know, let's go in with me. Let's go to L.A. And and get this money, and they like, oh man, give me a business proposal. Well, you wasn't asking for no business proposal back in the day when I used to give you the they bags. They got fly on you. Yeah, you hear me, so it was cool. They got fly. So check this out. Where did you meet Master P on this journey? Oh, I met P when I came home. Um, he oh, and I, Oakland. in Oakland, yeah, okay. you know, because a company that I was partners with, we um, had been knowing P, and they introduced me to Master P. In okay. my hometown, they did the original logo, had merchandising on P, and just everything. So P and I had, you know, established a real good relationship over the phone calls over the years. Okay, you know, and um, and, and so therefore we never lost that relationship. Okay, that's what I'm saying. So y'all did some business back then, like. Oh yeah, we were we were very um, instrumental in, in a lot of things when it came to marketing for P. You know, um, putting early on, days. Yeah, early putting, no limit days. Yes, putting all the album covers in okay. one package okay. so that people see up and coming things. Okay, um, having all the bus benches all over the city. You know, uh, there there's several things that we were able to do not only for P but you know E40. You know, and you you name it, Tony Draper. Um, rap a lot. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't just Master P. He was one of the independents that that probably shined the most because he owned all this stuff. Right. So when I would go visit him, I remember when he was doing the movie. I got the hookup. He called me up and say, "Hey man, you know, I'm about to do this movie." I'm like, "Dude, you ain't doing no movie unless we doing a cover." Okay. And he like, "All right, man. Well, come on out here." So he flew us out there. We did the photo shoot right outside of Priority. And did the cover for it, but he ended up changing the cover even after that. But the point is, is that he was very organic about it. He would be like, "Man, of course you can do it. Come on." Okay. And so we maintained a very good relationship through the years. Okay. So um, fast forward to L.A. Mm -hmm. You moved to L.A. That's when Fatter Facts. Became yeah. in, in effect. Yes. Okay. So what Fat Effects? What's interesting about Fat Effects is that um, I only had about I, I want to say I had about ten thousand dollars saved. I had about five thousand dollars in credit cards, and um, my probation officer gave me a ninety day pass to go to L.A. and find a location. Okay. I took that ninety day pass. I found a location. I spent every bit of my ten grand in 1999, um, and I'll never forget because it was around December, and come January I was only going to have enough money to pay my rent, and I'll be broke after that. Hmm. And there's a friend of mine from the penitentiary who came in my office. His name is Flint Coleman. Flint walked in. He like, oh, I go, what's up, L.L.? You know, good. You know that penitentiary stuff is real. Yeah. And um, 
so anyway, Flint was like, hey, man, you know, I want to bring this dude down here. He want to meet you. And it just so happened that the guy he brought was Paris Johnson. Well, I did a bunch of stuff for Paris Johnson with Nike. And also I did stuff for him for Death Row when okay. I was in Oakland. So okay. Paris and I were friends. Okay. So Paris, Paris Johnson was the president of Death Row at the time. Okay. But he brought Paris Johnson because he took on a new role at a company called Black Ground Records. Black Ground Records. A lot of people don't know who Black Ground Records is. Okay. But I'm going to tell you, that's Barry Hankerson company. Mm. Barry Hankerson was married to Patti LaBelle. Yeah. He's behind the Aaliyah, Timberland. Yeah. I can yeah. I can keep on going. Barry yeah. has been very instrumental. Missy Elliott. Missy Elliott. Yeah. I mean, Barry has been like a pillar in the music industry. For a long, long time. Long time. So he dealt with goons. And them goons came to my office. And they're like, hey, man, we finna do this project called... Romeo Must Die okay. soundtrack. Damn and right. I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's cool. And um, when we did that project, it's funny because I talk about it in my book called An Urban Child. Okay. And okay. I described the day that they walked in and I described how they wrote me a check for so much money that the bank did not even want to let the money clear. Hmm. You had a problem with it. No, I made it happen. But the point is, is that was the first time I seen that much money in a check mm -hmm. ever. And they had a deal with Virgin Records and they wrote me that check. And my job was to make that project look like it was a major label release. And I did. Okay. And we won. Yeah. We won real well. So much so that I came back to do the Exit Wounds, the Jill Scott's. And then my name started ringing because I was able to take minimal amount of budgets, which of course, major labels were spending a half a million dollars and you could spend a quarter of that with me and I'll make you look like a major label. Just like that, flat out, okay. I think Yusef Jackson put it best about Reverend Jesse Jackson. His dad would take a pork chop and uh, feed the whole family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesse, huh? yeah. Rainbow Coalition. Uh, hey. So, Fatifex still open today. Up Twenty-five years I have been in business. Twenty-five years. Twenty-five years. Fatifex, I opened it up in '99. This is 2021. So I've been doing it since then. And before that, I was doing it in open as Funky Fat Graphics. Okay. But Fatifex itself started in 1999. So Fatifex headquarters in LA. Yes, yeah. it's still in LA okay. right now. Okay. Okay. So you get you make business cards in LA and point fingers and point everybody in the right direction. Every day. Every day? All day long. All day. I was hearing you just a minute ago. <laughs> you called and they was like, uh, we own it right now. We got it. We got it. But anyway, okay. Yeah. So Fat Effects roll, roll, roll. Urban Born come about. You know, Urban Born was organically brought in because of the guys that I saw coming in with hip hop. Um, who didn't know how to talk, could not. I mean, it was just, it was just sad to see these youngsters come in and looking like they look. Um, and so, I felt compelled as being older to help these youngsters sit right, stand right, make eye contact. You know, things that they need to know when they're negotiating deals. Um, one particular person that a lot of people grew to knew, to know was Nipsey Hussle. When he came into my Urban Born oh, no, program, yeah, yeah, Nipsey Hussle was one of my first children in my program. Flossie and Crenshaw. Yeah. Yeah. Nipsey Hussle. Yeah. Okay. The marathon. <laughs> yes. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Why you say it like that? I'm saying, I, you know, I'm familiar with Okay. Yeah. So, I've been in the store before I got checked out and all that. We had a few situations. Uh-oh, uh -oh, I go in the store uh -oh, one day. Uh-oh. Uh, me and Frank, me and Greedy Greg together. Oh yeah, greedy guy. So I yeah. come back to the court after I go in the store. Greedy like, who in there? I said, Miss Slam dude with some tattoos on. He like that there. I'm like, man. He said, but hey, he went got glasses. I said, no, he ain't got no glasses. He said, well, that's Nip. He, he got a brother named Sam. Yeah, but Sam, Sam with glasses. But he, so I'll go back in there. I'm like, man, hey. Now how much you say this hot stuff is? He like, man. I said, man, I ain't gonna fret about that, man. Cause if I was in the white folks store, we wouldn't mm. be talking about that. I just come here to introduce myself. He like, man, where you from? I'm like, I'm from St. Louis. Ooh, and he, you know, he, matter of fact, I had about 
couple of sweatshirts, <coughs> couple of jerseys, and a couple of t-shirts. And he threw me a hat, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Every time I come back saying, but one thing that I did, like I didn't know him personally like that, have a telephone number like that, but I sent him reading his book one time. And I asked mm-hmm. him what it was, cause I'm a book reader. And it was a book called Three Magic Words. Mm-hmm. And uh. It's one of the best books I ever read in my life. Yeah. Well, go on with you. I ain't mean to cut you off. No, you good. You did good. I mean, everybody um, feel compelled to share their moments with certain people that have archived themselves into the history of our culture. Right. And he's right. done very well at that, you yes, know. Sir. When I got him, you know, he was, you know, he was banging with every other word. He was talking and throwing up gang signs, you know. But okay. uh, Nipsey grew to become one of the best listeners we were in fact even up until his demise we were working together i had him working with the city of los angeles to redesign that whole los angeles area because my friend is the arch is the architectural designer for the underground train station that's going through there that's going down crenshaw yes under the ground right now. yes yeah okay yeah, I'm familiar with that. They had problems over in that area, and so I sent him down to talk to Nipsey, and him and Nipsey got together, and you know they started working together. That that was um you know he didn't know who Nipsey was, but he kept hearing his name. But to me, he's just another one of our children, and our program that needed our help. Right. Okay. 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 So Urban Bond started actually what year? I think that. I, I really can't put a year on it because we've always been doing it, but I've been a 501C since 2002, I believe, 2002. Okay. Okay. Um, we've done... Well, I was going away at that time, but go ahead. Yeah, we, we traveled across the country, Master P and I, doing a lot of events together, teaching children through basketball. Um, and that was one of our things we would do is educate children but using basketball as a carrot. And we found in some of these poorest communities that a lot of them had things that are in common. Young children didn't know their long vowel, short vowel sounds. So what we did is we partnered up. I would do the academic component. He would do the basketball component. Okay, okay. So so somebody that didn't know what Urban Barn was, what is the mission statement of it? We, our mission statement is that, well, first let's back up. We Googled the worst place to live and we Hold saw- Hold on, what'd you say? We Googled the worst place to live because we was having so much success in LA with our children. Oh, so you were setting off a mission to- Yes. Okay, go so ahead. So we, we Googled the worst place to live and we said, okay, that place has the highest problem. Let's go there and open up another urban born. And where did that end up at? St. Louis. Where we at right now? Yeah, where we at right now. So I live in the worst place to live. Well, at that time, that's what it said. So <laughs> I flew out here, and you'd be surprised how, for mm. someone that comes from California like me, this is some third world country stuff. You know, looking at people sitting on a porch still, drinking and watching cars drive by, standing on a corner, selling dope, houses is all boarded up. It goes back to what they call the broken window theory. You have to look that up to know what that means. But when I came here, I was like, wow, this is not normal. I'm like, this is just where I need to be. And so what I did as far as our mission statement is I said, let me bring a carrot to the table. Because black families have a tendency not to invest in education. Okay. But they will invest in some basketball, some football, some baseball. So you got to sports to grab. I need that carrot. That carrot is that basketball. So I said, well, let me buy a school and cut a school out and make it my house. So okay. I found a school. Okay. Cut it out. The compound. Made it into my home. Okay. And then I'll bring children to my home where we have a professional basketball gym. Okay. And we'll use that professional gym as a carrot. Okay. And then we'll do early education mm-hmm. through basketball. Okay. So our mission is to revitalize the community within the community. Like I don't live in the boondocks where I gotta travel to work and come and help the community. No, I mm-hmm. live in the community. No, you live in the community. And revitalize the community. Avenue. In the community. Yeah. And one of the worst parts 
of the words report to live in. That's it. That you it, it really is. But check this out. I ain't, I ain't mean to cut you off. I ain't gonna let you off the hook like that since no. you teaching. No doubt. You gonna get the definition of the uh, the broken window theory. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> let me break it down to you about the broken window theory. Okay. There's this old thing that happened here in St. Louis that you guys may not be aware of. Okay. What they did is they said, let me let the area go all the way down. We won't repair no roads. We won't repair no nothing. Right. We'll let the area drop, drop, drop. So the broken window theory is, okay, they'll find you for your windows being broken. You right. go to jail, somebody come in right. and break in your house or whatever. Now you get a fine. This is the way that they keep finding you. They can take your properties from you. Okay. So what they do is they take this theory and they did it in New York first. Mm -hmm. And it worked. That's why you're looking at Harlem look like Harlem today. Right. Okay. And they go in and let the area depreciate, depreciate, depreciate. Come in, buy it for pennies on a dollar. And then come back in what they call regentification. And then sell it for its way and go, which is always there. And then put the Starbucks on the corner. And then put the Starbucks on the corner. Okay. So I saw that this is what was happening here. Okay. And I said, oh, shoot, I'm about to wake up the dead. So yeah. my goal was to wake up all the homies in the hood like this is what's happening. Lo and behold, what happens? NGA came. Okay. A multi-billion dollar business three miles away from where we at. Carrots and Jumps. Yeah, cross street from the old field that go project. So now here you are with this big billion dollar business coming and you're not letting, you know, I'm not racist, but these clear folks not letting the homies in the trenches know, get your stuff together because your house is worth more than this thousand dollars they selling them for. Yeah. It's worth more than twenty thousand if you're living in it. Right. It's really worth a half a million dollars if you clean up the community with it. Right, okay. So that's where Bat Back the Block came from. Buying back the block is more is, is more than just words. It, it came from people of power having money moving out the block. Okay. Because, you know, it's very difficult when you start having money. Everybody pulling at you. Oh, man, can I get this? Let me have that. Oh, man, you can get this to me. And so you don't want to say no because then they feel like, oh, you better than me? So it's a catch-22 with that. So it's like, okay, don't nobody ask me for nothing because I'm a working man. I'm not a celebrity. I'm not rapping. I'm not singing. I'm not dancing. I'm not acting. I do business. So they're not asking somebody like me for nothing, although they do ask anyway. But still, I know how to say no because I do business. Okay. You know? Because you're a businessman. I'm a businessman. I'm not a bank. I don't loan money. Go to the bank and borrow money. We're going to leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because you own the whole block. Yeah, I own the And you're your own bank. I, I'm my own bank. That's okay, right. I finance so the buyers. But it's a difference. I sell you a home and I finance you. What's it's, wrong with that? Nothing. It's, okay. it's business. It's business. You're not a businessman. You're a businessman. I'm a, I'm a businessman. <laughs> I don't go to the banks and borrow the money to do my block. I fix the money with my own money that I make. I I'm not mad at you, my brother. I know you're, you're not. You're my partner. You're my partner. You're my partner. Hey, but check this out, though. You used to be an MC. I'm sorry, repeat that? You used to be an MC, a rapper. Uh, no. You used to be in a rap group. No. Oh, I was lied to? You was lied to. I right, called Oka. Who you gonna call and say, I wasn't never no rapper? You wasn't never no rapper? Never in my whole life. Y'all okay. might be having somebody that look like me. Okay, so we're gonna let that slide. You let it. Who, who would say that? I was a drug lord. I was a drug dealer. Okay. I was, I listen, the first person that came to me and told me to get into music was Harry O. Harry O, he started Death Row. Harry O say, LL, you tripping on So I was in LA at this time. No, I was in Oakland. That okay. was my partner from okay. Oakland. Now, okay. you know, that was back in my head. Okay. But Harry O was like, man, you can start some music stuff and get it. I'm like, man, I don't want to do no music. I'm a drug dealer. Okay. What I look like rapping. Okay. I mean, not to put no rappers down, okay. but I'm just saying like. So Short was from your neighborhood? No. Short is a good friend of mine that somebody I did that, you know, one of my partners put okay. Short out. One. He was doing business with me. Okay. And Short know me because his person that was putting him out was getting his work for me. Okay. Just like that. So today, where you at in life and like how I see you interact with the children and things like that. 
like from coming from back then in that life, as you say, you know what yeah. I'm saying, and um, in that life of a drug lord and interacting with the children that you do today, like how do that make you feel? You know, I tell you, what's really good about it is that the children can relate to me because they're growing up in the environment that I come from. There's no large gap. Their daddies that come through, some of them are stuck, paid the vacation in the penitentiary. Those children know that I come from a similar background. They got uncles that still may be or may not be, you know, doing what they do. But the relationship that I have with them is familiar to them. So therefore, when I tell them that they can't come in my house unless they bring their homework, they know I'm not playing about that. They know that I will do what I do to make sure you get this academic component to not follow who you love footprints. Okay. Because I know that you love your dad and it's easy to follow those footprints to someone that you love. Okay. And so the love that I show them is that same love that they get from someone that come from an illicit background. Okay. And, and therefore, the interaction is more organic. It's kind of like what they would say, meeting them where they're at. Okay, 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 okay. And I know, like, the passion that you have, that you're speaking of today, you have had it since the first day I met you. You say about, I have? You have had it. Thank you. Yes, about, I have. About these children. I'm serious about it. I'm talking about dead children. It ain't changed. No. No, it's, Not it didn't grow bigger and bigger and bigger. Started with three or four children. I fall off a lot of people mad. Oh, man, we ain't come here for no education. We came for basketball. Then you at the wrong place. So, so now for us to have almost 200 children in our program, and it's all free. Like, I do this with my own money. You know what I'm saying? We don't get no grants. We don't get no none of that. Right. You know what I'm saying? People, you'd be surprised. It's clear folks that help us. Again, I'm not racist. It's more clear folks that help <laughs> us than my own people. <laughs> I mean, it's just embarrassing. Like, you know, when you see all the black children that come in here, and we're giving them words like equanimity. You're like, okay, what the heck is equanimity? The equanimity simply means to keep your composure no matter what the circumstances are. Mm -hmm. So not only are you learning the vocabulary word, you're using it in your mindset because if you're getting fouled in the game and a referee calls a foul on you, you got to stay under what? Your control. Yeah, you got to keep your composure. So, so we're using words like that. And then that builds their confidence up. And then guess what? We do it all in sign language. No, I know. Your daughter taught me sign language from the first day I met her. We do it in sign language. And she was about four years old at oh, that yeah. time? She was about six at that six. time. Yeah. Mama Seek was off the hook. Yeah. Feeding the dog. Oh. Speaking Spanish to them. Yeah. I'm like, man, you got that little child over there with the big dog? <laughs> yeah. She's like, big dog, she got it. Don't she worry got about that. that. They not gonna move until she pull that thing and she give them a command to eat. Eat on command. Yeah. I teach them big old killers over there. Have to. Yeah. They do not play. At all. So, that we speaking on that, what does the word family mean to you, my brother? You know, family has a multi-layered um, thing, you know, because you have family within the structure home. Okay. You have that family, and then you have another family that comes from an illicit trade, believe it or not, like, they're like family to me. My homies is like, they goons, and people look at them like they crazy, but nah, they like give you the best love you ever seen. Like, they like, they die for you, kill for you. That's like, that's some stuff you ain't never heard of. That's like some real family stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. And, and so, therefore, the tears of, of that, like, it's very difficult because people say, oh, man, how you gonna say... You know, that's your folks like that, and they just committed, like, several murders. I'm like, well, what did that person do to make them act like that? That's one thing. And okay. secondly, it's like, they don't act like that with me. Right. When they come here, they, like, they they, they treat our children like... Like family. Like family. Yeah, like family. And so, you know, yeah. with that type of love, we can fix the planet. Right. And the family thing is like, it takes a village to raise a child. And no doubt. So we need that family 
to be extended beyond the scope of our immediate family. Okay. Uh-huh. So with that being said, by being in St. Louis as long as you have, what do you think about the city now? You know, <laughs> I believe that the, the system has um, has won. They did what they intended to do. They they deliberately dummied down the culture to put them in a position that they're in. Um, and if you read the book, The Deliberate Dummying Down of America, you can find that these things are in sync with what is happening here in this culture. Um, let's just break it down to make it even deeper. You have a population of black people, 98% of the crimes that are committed are black on black crimes. 98% of the crimes that are committed are black on black crimes. Now, when you look at that, 50% of them, well, I take that back. Yeah, it's 98%. 50% of those black on black crimes that are in, that, that are incarcerated for when we only make up 12% of the population. Right. Okay. okay. We're killing each other. But why? Oh, I know why. Because if I'm already frustrated about not being academically prepared to feed my family, I'm always walking around looking with something wrong with me. It's always an issue. How you gonna expect me to be happy and I don't have no food in there to feed my children? Right. Like, I can't walk around here and act like I'm happy and my academic ability does not want me to work and make the kind of money that you advertise in front of me. Right. With these rims, these cars, this. Your academic ability don't meet your financial ability would never equal. You got it. Equal what you marketing in front of you. That nice coats, them nice shoes, them nice. I want the new iPhone. I want this. Okay. Then you got to look at another documentary, which again, the deliberate dumbing down of America, but consuming kids. Mm -hmm. It breaks down how they purposely market to your children Mm -hmm. and to them to buy. I want, I want, I want. So you get a frustrated energy. In, a, in an environment that's not academically prepared and the city of St. Louis, you know, is on the top two. Well, you know, they used to be number one in the world when it came to business. Mm-hmm. St. Louis is number one in the world. A lot of people don't know that. And here's what happens. You couldn't get nothing without going through the Mississippi River and they had the boats. Right. How you go from number one in the world to been in last. A plan. Yeah. Oh, you didn't share. <laughs> oh, you didn't share that knowledge. You didn't share the plan. You didn't get the people properly prepared. Yeah. And when I tell you, you do that research on North St. Louis, how they deliberately let this area go down, that's not fake. That was the broken window theory in full effect. Pure so, so now you got all these people that with these big old nice three-story homes, they're not driving way out to Ladue and I mean way out to St. Charles or to come. They, they, now that, that traffic is coming back, they building it up over here. Mm. Oh, you think they want to keep that traffic? No, they want this back. Mm. So you've dummy down a culture. And now you keep pushing them around. Yeah. They've done tests on this culture in the projects where they drop some. I forget the name of that that um, that 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 bomb that they dropped that was just killing everybody. H&R. What was it called? Agent Orange. Agent Orange. Agent Orange. Agent Orange. Killed all the people. And then they say they didn't do it. Like. Like, they've really done some damage to this culture. Yes, sir. And it has a, a mental state to... For generations and generations and generations, right? It don't go away, man. No. So, in order away. in order for us to fix it, we, as a culture, us, yeah. black man, yeah. have to come back and come in and do it. We have to. 
because God bless the hearts of them people that want to, you know, donate, that are clear. But unfortunately, when them clear folks come down here, our people put on a mask. They don't give them that organic them. Right. They put that like mask on. <laughs> And they'll yeah. take that money, but they're not getting, they're not receiving, they're not. We have to come and help us. Yeah. Okay. Them, them pro ball players and all that. But we yeah. can't, we can't imagine what it's like to live like you unless you come down here and live by us. Okay. And I get to touch you. Yeah. You like, get to holler at you. Right. Yeah. And kick it with you. And you otherwise, you, you're like, okay. Yeah. Right. I understand the feeling that you have every day when you wake up. Come on, man. Because you're on. financially free. Yeah, well, I tomorrow, and you know, far as going to the bank and cashing the check, I've been you very blessed. Yeah, now I'm talking about the ball player. Oh yeah, they financially free. Yeah, and see, and, and what ends up happening again? People can come up here and talk to me. They like, man, how you own this whole block? And then I'm buying everything up as I go down the block, right? And they see me physically doing the work. They like, they can see themselves now accomplishing this. Mm -hmm. It's not like in Hollywood where they put this fifty foot fence up and you don't know what they're doing on that music that 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 movie that, that, that magic movie magic. So you don't even imagine becoming Hollywood. Because you can't see all that stuff. But now technology is allowing you to do what it do. Mm -hmm. So check this out. If you ran into young Janelle that grew up in the autumn parts of Oakland. And you ran into them today, what type of conversation would you have? Shoot, I run into them here in St. Louis. It's a bunch no, of them. I'm talking about, I, I have you ran into yourself. Well, you know, that's yeah. a difficult question because put it like this, man. The discernment that God has blessed me to have to talk to the children. I was so lost and raised in the backyard as a pit bull and so wild that you couldn't even say nothing to me unless you was coming from where I come from. Okay, like, but you I didn't been, you been where you came from and, and now you are today. So what kind of conversation would you have with him today? Man, think about residual income. Okay. That's the most important thing going. Listen, man, only if I can plant a seed about residual income making money while you sleep. That's the definition of it. Okay, there we go. I'm like, man, you can only work eight hours and get paid so much money. Okay. But when you got product out there that's selling while you sleep, and you wake up and you can check that digital download. From intellectual property on. Come on, man. Okay. Property loan, a property, intellectual property. If property is the word. You gotta own. Okay. So what you got going on now? Well, buying these properties up in the immediate area and selling them and financing the buyers is something that uh, is a new venture of mine. You know, they teach you in real estate, oh, real estate is this and that, but they don't teach you that when you buy a property and you trick it out super fly and you own it, you don't go get no bank loans to do it mm -hmm. and you sell it and you finance the buyer now you becoming a bank. See, they don't teach you that part of the game. Okay. And that part of the game is longevity. That's that residual income. So I'm working on my 16th project in the last eight years, and, and I'm very proud of it because I didn't know how to do none of it at first. Get on YouTube, learn a trade. Okay. Digital technology cannot take away your trade. Yeah. Ain't no digital computer finna come in and uh, fix your toilet. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not finna come in and fix your roof if it's leaking, right? You gotta call somebody. You gotta get up on that roof. That's that. never gonna change. No, that's never gonna change. So own that property, trick it out, sell it and finance the buyer. That ain't going nowhere. They not finna put that on no trailer and take off. No, they don't move around here like they do in California. No, yeah, they move from spot to spot. They 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 got basements in them. They, they solidified. Got basements, they solidified. They stuck. You did what I'm saying, man. But, but I do. I, Go ahead. Likewise, man. I just want to say thank you for taking the time. I know it took a lot of effort for your team to get here and set up, and 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 I appreciate that. And and I I want to make sure that somehow, some way, God bless you 
you know, I can't make sure, but I want to say I pray that God bless you in your endeavor. Because, you know, I didn't, I'm going to be honest with you, I like the way you approached me in, uh, in Walmart. In, in, in Walmart, man. I was, you know, <laughs> I I approach you Walmart. Hey, I knew hey, you man. had something to say about hey, man. Yeah, I do, man. Go ahead. You laughed at me. Go ahead. Yeah, I did. Like, like, you know, I'm like, dude, I don't look down on your soul. I just, when I was, no, no, no. Can I, I just say, like, you like, oh, man, you, you too big to do doing my show. After you laughed at me? I didn't laugh at it. I just laughed at the fact that you wanted me to be on your show. I'm like, damn, dude. I'm like, I was a drug dealer that stayed in the shadow. I still stay in the shadow today. Okay. But you gonna succeed just because of the way you did that mind trip on me. You 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 got me. I just want you to know that that worked. And then I'm like, all right, man, I'm gonna do it. But now that we got a chance to talk and go through it, I appreciate you. You know, taking time out to share my past with the people. I appreciate you for coming home and sharing your story with my audience. Did what I'm saying, and man. Come that. on, man. I, it was an honor and a pleasure for Likewise. real, for real. And Likewise. that's how much I respect you, my brother. Likewise. Since day one. Since, yeah. Since I got the call from Oak. Yeah. And he said, yeah. man, I got a call from out the way and some people coming in, whoopie, whoopie, whoop. And I was here from day one. Yeah, you was. And I, that call out the way was from one of my little young homies yeah. that just got off the penitentiary. Yeah, his people. That, that, that's my point. That's, people. Now you see what yeah. I say about that family and that yes, love. Man. It extends it right reach. out there. Yeah. It reaches all across the that, universe. That stuff is real. It reaches all across the universe, my brother. You know what I'm I saying? got real loved ones, man, that I did time with, man, to this day. And I, I look at you like, you know what I'm saying, because we all imperfect people. Yeah. But I feel your spiritual Thank journey you. that you own and you're trying to fulfill in this limitless universe that we all dwell upon. That's right. And I respect you. Thank and I you, love you. I just want to say one thing about that. Ain't no trying. We're going to fulfill it. Oh, yeah. We're going to do it. we fulfilling it. we fulfill it. we fulfill it. There you go. We're going to claim we that. We're going to claim it and take it. Uh, you got any last <laughs> yeah. words from my audience? Oh, man, let me think about that. Is that a trick question first? No, sir. All right, let me say. <laughs> if you are in an illicit trade, I want to say this very close because I don't want you to think I'm trying to teach you how to do money laundering because that's the case. <laughs> if you are in an illicit trade and you look in the change lanes, which means do something different. Okay. Put your blink on. Put your blinker on. Yeah, because if you don't, you're going to hit me, get hit by that yeah. Mack truck with these hey, three letters on it. Hey, well, go ahead. Hey, that, yeah, you yeah. ain't lying about Put your blinker on. Put, go put ahead. your blinker on. <laughs> Residual income. Properties. Change lanes. Them clear folks is smooth with their game. You may think you're getting away, but they tapping in. And, I, you know, I just want to tell you to encourage yourself to learn one word a day, one trade a month. You know, I learned electrical, plumbing, drywalling, you name it. Just learn one trade. So can't nobody even beat you. Or if you're paying somebody to show up, <laughs> they don't show up, you can do the job. Change lanes. Be here for your family. I need you right here with me helping my people. Because I know that you guys, the ones that's out there in that illicit trade, you willing to take chances like that to survive? Imagine the chances you will take to help my people. And I need you. All right. Where can we find you on social media? You and all your I, businesses. You know what? Okay. I stopped doing social media about two years ago. But I do have John L. Langerston on Instagram. And I do have John L. Langerston at Facebook. But I, I stopped social media two years ago. On Urban Born and Fast Facts, everything. All that is there. John L. Langerston, you will find me. It's real simple. But I stopped doing it two years ago because it started consuming too much of my time that I don't have. They diagnosed me with a fatal disease called sarcoidosis. They gave me two years to live. I'd be damned if I'm going to be spending it on some social media when I can be making a difference for my people. How long was that, bro? Man, I'm still here. This is the seventh, eighth year now. Okay. I'm still here. Yeah. We ain't worried about that. We ain't claiming that. No, we ain't claiming that. That's right. You did what I'm saying? Yep. But uh, like I said, brother, it was an honor and a pleasure, man, Likewise, to come sit man. down with you, especially at your compound. Thanks for allowing the playhouse. Yeah, come man. through and kick it at Urban Born. We here, man. Oh, we here, man. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. We in the trenches. What but up? you know, but if you if you listen, ain't no cars running by like they used to. No, oh no, hey man, dog. When we was down the block at the other house, and Brady Greg was here, dog, and I seen the old boy pull up. You know what I'm saying? Because I know the youngster. 
Yeah. I know how he got down. Yep. And he's down to earth with a respect level for you that I'm like, dang. We cleaning the community. Yeah. It working. Yeah, it works. Before we go, you had your boy here. Big you. Yeah, big you. What y'all potting up, man? Y'all got something in the pot. No, no, Big U, you know, he happened to manage my little youngster, Nipsey. Nipsey right, 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 right. I met Big U on my own accord. We've, okay. been, we've been friends for quite some time. Um, he came to town, and the only thing I can do is take him over here where these guys are representing that type of lifestyle. Hey, man, let's educate them on how we need to buy a community back and get off these blocks. And, um, and, and it has worked. I'm very grateful to the gentleman that are no longer over there on the block. And the block is cleaned up now. Look like a ghost town. Okay, okay. Well, uh, like I said, man, man, I'm so happy to see you, the kids. Well, Lobo, shout out to Ozark. Who introduced me oh, to Mister Johnny? Yeah, you that did what I'm saying. But uh, like we do about this time, watch your thoughts because they become your words. Watch your words because they become your habits. Watch your habits because they become your actions. Watch your actions because it becomes your character. And please guard your character because it becomes your destiny. Who and what you are in this limited universe that we all dwell upon. And we out, 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 out.